Starting on January 11th, Health Power will be posting every Tuesday instead of every Tuesday and Thursday. On Thursdays, starting on the 12th, you're going to get Dog Eared with Lisa Davis. Say write books about dogs. I interview them. So if you're a dog lover, I hope you will check it out. Tell your friends, tell your family, also tell them about Health Power. So again, Health Power every Tuesday. Dog Ear with Lisa Davis every Thursday. Hope you'll tune in. Hi, I'm Lisa Davis. So glad you're listening to Health Power. If you listen to the show, you know that I am very big on talking about trauma, talking about healing and mental health. And I just read such a fantastic book. It is called, Has Your Child Been Traumatized? How to Know and What to Do to Promote Healing and Recovery. It is by our wonderful guest, Dr. Melissa Goldberg-Mentz. We call her Dr. Melissa. Dr. Melissa Goldberg-Mintz is an author, psychologist, and mom of two living in Houston, Texas. She has worked with traumatized children, adolescents, and families for a decade, and she is passionate about the role parents play in helping their children recover from adverse events. Dr. Melissa, welcome to Health Power. Yes, I'm so excited to be here, and thank you so much for having me. I'm so glad to have you on. You know, the first thing I thought about is how desperately my parents needed this book. I'm not going to share things that are don't pertain to myself, but for people in my family, they this would have been like a literally a lifesaver. I'd love to just jump in and, and just define trauma because we hear that word thrown around all the time. Yes, absolutely. Okay, so before I define trauma, I want to define another term, and that is adverse events or pot- uh, potentially traumatic events. So. Yes. What those are, are the things that people traditionally think of as trauma. So things like car crashes, school shootings, sexual abuse, witnessing domestic violence, witnessing a parents with substance abuse, all of these sorts of things are potentially traumatic events. And so I say potentially because two kids could experience the same thing and one might be traumatized and the other might heal naturally. I know, sadly, so many women and some men who are sexually abused and... None of them, I mean, they're, they're living their lives. Some are doing better than others, but those scars are tough. Yeah. There is trauma, right? But it depends on the, the parental reaction or the support and the relationship. That was something that I thought was so interesting in the book is that, you know, the number one thing is what's your, if you have that love and parental support. So for the kids who don't, right, it's even worse. You know, if you're being traumatized by a neighbor or something, and then you go home and your parents are not getting it or self-involved and don't see the signs, which we'll get to, you're just left to, to just sit in it. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. And just because we brought up sexual abuse. So for decades, the rates of prevalence there were one in four girls and one in six boys will experience something like that before their 18th birthday. And actually updated prevalence rates have shown now that girls will experience some type of sexual assault or abuse one in three. So even more common, um, decreasing in frequency for boys. But yeah, but just those rates of prevalence are just horrifying. Now you start in the book, you start, you talk about a boy who you say he's like one of the unluckiest boys and I want people to get the book, but you talk about, he comes in with this like great energy and spirit and you're like, what's going on? And then you see him interact interact with his mom Mm -hmm. and you're like, okay, I see. So tell us about that. Absolutely. So this was a case I had gotten early on in my career. And when I saw that intake form, man, I tell you, I was overwhelmed. So many different things. So what research tells us is that um, most kids will experience some type of adverse event before they hit 18. Unfortunately, that's just the way it is. 
Um, but this kid had more than his fair share. So, um, gosh, and I can't remember exactly what I put in the book. I, I changed a lot of details to protect patient. Wasn't there like fires and yep. loss mm-hmm. and car crashes? So many different things that this poor child had experienced. And I found myself thinking, how could someone who experienced all of this just seem to be doing so well? Of course, he had some symptoms, nightmares, things like that. And that's what brought him into my office. But how could he seem so upbeat? How could he be doing so well in school? Like, how how do I make sense of this? And then when his mom came in, and man, they just had the coolest relationship. Um, they came in and they were talking about what they were going to do after meeting me, and they just they just had so much fun joking together. It was a pleasure um, for me as a therapist to get to watch them interact. Oh, that's really cool. And so that again is is what I mentioned before about having that foundation with the parent really helps. And like I said, what I worry about is the kids that don't have that because then they're, I would assume that trauma is exacerbated by feeling alone. This book is geared towards kids who are traumatized, not by their parents is what I would describe it as. In terms of accidents, sexual abuse outside the home, a fire, uh, some kind of witness, except you did mention like domestic violence and stuff. But I feel like for a parent to pick this up, I don't imagine an abusive parent to be reading this book if they're the one being abusive. Does that, do you see what I'm Absolutely. saying? Yes. So this is not written for a parent who's an abuser, but I intend for this to also be used by parents who, who are survivors. So, um, you know, like we talked about parents who have experienced domestic violence, um, parents who've experienced their own abuse, things like that. Um, because what we know is that thinking about healing from trauma is that it only takes one. So, you know, and it doesn't even have to be mom or dad. It could be grandma or grandpa, aunt or uncle. Oh, that's a good point. Um, an yeah. adoptive parent, a foster parent. It, it just takes one secure attack relationship. Right. And it could also be the parents aren't being abusive, but maybe the uncle is. Absolutely. Yes. Or some other person or the grandparent, somebody else in the family, and you send them over to grandma and grandpa's and the kid comes home and looks miserable. And if you just brush them off, oh, you're just, you just get bored over there instead of like, really like, wow, you seem really upset. Did what happened or what's going on? I mean, how, talk to us about how you approach that. But first, I should ask, what are some of the symptoms, obviously? So, and then how do you approach those with your children? Sure. That there's some abuse or trauma going on. Yeah, absolutely. So, the number one thing I tell parents to look for is a big change from baseline. So, if you had a kid who was a great sleeper, sleeping through the night, all of a sudden, um, you know, either just having horrible nightmares or trying to avoid sleep, not wanting to go to sleep, and it seems like that's coming out of nowhere, that would be a red flag to me. Now, if your kid was always a bad sleeper and is continuing to be a bad sleeper, you know, sorry. <laughs> That's tough. That's <laughs> tough as a parent. Um, and that would not necessarily be a red flag for trauma. Um, but, you know, if you had a kid who loved snack time and all of a sudden is not interested anymore and is just saying they're not hungry, that might be a red flag too. Uh, if you had a kid who was super social, who loved, you know, every Saturday night having a sleepover with a friend, all of a sudden, like, no, don't want to do that anymore. That could be a red flag. Um, so any of these things, any big change from baseline would be something that would tip me off. 
Common misconceptions about trauma. Share a few of these for us. Oh, my goodness. Okay. So the biggest one is, um, you know, my child is like forever ruined. So that is a huge misconception. And in fact, even walking it back, like after experiencing something scary or an adverse event, that my child is traumatized. So most of the times after experiencing an adverse event, a child goes on to heal naturally. Um, So I think that that is something that's, gosh, that is a myth I encounter probably on a weekly basis. I get at least one call from a parent, meet the kid. The kid does not need therapy is, you know, like it won't be harmed right. by a meeting with me, but, but doesn't need it. Um, so that is probably the most common misconception that I get that a, tra- a child is not necessarily traumatized after experiencing something scary. Um, but then if a child has been traumatized and does need therapy, um, of course, healing and recovery is so possible. So um, that's, a, I think those two go hand in hand. You know, I thought it was interesting. You share in the book, too, about two girls who were in a classroom and they thought they were gunshots. And one of them was sitting by the teacher who was very common. And the other one was sitting by a boy who's like, we're all going to die. And then, of course, they're going to process the event differently. It turned out to be something else not related to, to gun violence. And that was interesting. It's like what's happening at the time. Right. Right. Absolutely. These tiny differences that one girl just got lucky to be sitting next to the teacher who was so calming and knew exactly how to respond and did everything right. That girl went home and was like, oh, this funny thing happened today, mom. And, you know, absolutely no trauma. (laughs) And then the other girl, I mean, just imagine what that must have been like for her hearing like, oh, this is a school shooting and we're going to die. Like it makes sense that she might be traumatized by that. Oh, absolutely. The other thing, too, I think this is so interesting, is the family trauma history. And there was a study uh, conducted with the children and grandchildren, I'm reading from your book, of survivors of the Holocaust and genocides in Rwanda, Nigeria, Cambodia, Armenia, and the former Yugoslavia. And they revealed increased rates of numerous mental health disorders, uh, including PTSD and the offspring of survivors. So Mm -hmm. my question is, if you are... Uh, from this, these, you know, people who are, who are in these groups and Mm -hmm. you have a super traumatic event, it's going to be even worse. Mm -hmm. Or you might have just a minor thing happen and would it feel worse because you're already genetically conditioned or how would you, you would say this better? Yeah. Oh gosh. Yeah. So I would say that it it might certainly make you more vulnerable to developing post-traumatic stress symptoms. And I think this happens two different ways. So one Mm -hmm. is when we're thinking about it from a biological perspective, Um, levels of cortisol and stress hormones, those are things, elevated levels of that get gets passed through the generation. So from a biological perspective, that's what's happening. But psychologically too, if you're raised by a parent who has post-traumatic stress disorder, that's, mm-hmm, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah there you're going to see, you know, you're going to start thinking the way of responding, the way of thinking the world is not a safe place. Your parents will teach that to you. And then you may go on to teach that to your children. So both biologically and psychologically, yeah, absolutely. I think it might make somebody more vulnerable to developing post-traumatic stress. 
It's so hard. I know a few people with post-traumatic stress. I actually, someone close to me has complex PTSD. And that's something I've just recently heard about. Do you know much about that or what, what that means? Yeah, sure. So my way of thinking about it that I explain it to people is some, we get some patients who come in through the door who've had, you know, lovely childhoods with very supportive parents and something really scary happens to them. Maybe they're in a car crash that is just so horrible and they just see some really grotesque stuff and they end up traumatized by it. Um, that's That does happen every single day. Um, and, and we understand it, you know. It was just something that was so frightening that it, it ended up causing trauma. And, you know, what we know about that is that that person has a single incident trauma. And so we can get them in therapy and all we really have to target is, you know, that, that one day that that, that happened and the, the symptoms that happened after. Um, but it's really just a single incident trauma. But for someone who grew up in a home where there was sexual abuse, physical abuse, just, you know, adverse events were rampant. Um, and, and that was how they grew up. Uh, treating that is a little more complex, you know, as, as it would make sense. Okay, so that's why they call it complex is because it was like an ongoing thing and it's just so, it's such a part of that person. Mm-hmm. It wasn't a one isolated thing and they had this lovely child. Right. Mm-hmm. Oh, I envy people who had lovely childhoods. But anyway, <laughs> yeah. in chapter two, has your child been traumatized? You have the trajectory, that's a hard word to say, tra- trajectory mm-hmm. of post-traumatic stress and you talk about four key trajectories, resilience, recovery, delayed symptoms, and chronic symptoms. Can you talk just a little bit about that? Sure, sure. Um, so as I was saying, research indicates that the majority of children go on to heal naturally, even without therapy. Um, and so when we think about that, we might think about kids who experience something sad or scary. So I think in the book, I use the example of um, there was like a group of four or five friends and over the summer, uh, one of them commits suicide. Oh, yeah. yeah. And Kenny and Sebastian yes. and Brian mm-hmm. and Marcus. Yes. Yeah. Oh, wow. Good memory. <laughs> one of those friends, you know, uh, I think all of them will be shocked and all of them sure. might be saddened and confused and have a lot of big feelings about it. Um, and, you know, a subset of kids who experience something like that would benefit from talking about it with their parents, maybe seeing the school counselor a few times. But mm-hmm. after processing their initial shock and sadness, um, we'll be okay. And I think in, in the book, I gave the example of this kid wondering, like, why am I still meeting with the school counselor? I don't need to talk about this anymore. Like, yeah, it was sad. And like, I, I want to go back to math class now. <laughs> um, <laughs> and for pl- for plenty of kids, that's how they'll respond. Um, for other kids, they may have some post-traumatic stress symptoms. So um, it would, honestly, it would be normal to have nightmares the week after finding out about this. It would be normal to have just feeling down, feeling sad, having a lot of thoughts about it. Um, right after it happens and getting support, getting therapy or having whatever type of support that they have might be enough to help them through those symptoms to recover naturally. Um, We may have other kids who really struggle though. So kids who have post-traumatic stress symptoms. And I don't think we've talked specifically about what those look like. So I'll add. Yeah, talk to us. I was about to ask that next. I realized I'm thinking I should have asked that already, but go ahead. I think you did. And I was talking more about red flags for parents, but what those specific symptoms look like 
are so we can have intrusive re-experiencing symptoms so that'll be things like nightmares flashbacks or just having thoughts or images pop into their head that they they don't want them there and they feel uncomfortable um, we also might have avoidance symptoms so trying really hard not to think about or not to have feelings about the scary thing that happened um, also negative thoughts or feelings about the adverse event and then hyperarousal symptoms. So just feeling just kind of jittery, jumpy, always looking to see is there somebody over your shoulder, having a hard time with concentration, things like that. So those are some typical post-traumatic stress symptoms we might see. Um, and for kids who are struggling with post-traumatic stress symptoms, I would say that therapy is definitely necessary for those kiddos. Oh, yeah, Definitely. Uh, the other uh, trauma and stress-related disorders you have, you have PTSD we talked about. Tell us about acute stress disorder. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. So with PTSD, um, like I said, having some symptoms pop up right after experiencing something terrifying, um, I would say that's not cause for concern. And in fact, that is normal. So, you know, I, I get so many calls from from colleagues, from friends, and from patients like, Oh my goodness, my kid and I were just in a car crash and he had a nightmare that night. Is he traumatized? No, totally normal. Um, we don't really get concerned about PTSD unless something like that is ongoing. But for acute stress disorder, we're paying attention to the time that is closer to right after the adverse event has happened because sometimes kids can have symptoms that interfere with their life. Like they are so terrified. They are so stressed. They can't function even though it's only been a week or two. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. And so that definitely needs uh, some attention. Yes, definitely. Mm -hmm. You've probably heard how important it is to take probiotics. And trust me, you don't want to take just any. You want to take Omnibiotic Stress Release. It's a psychobiotic that is backed by science and is an award-winning physician-recommended brand here in the U.S., what is a psychobiotic, you might be asking? Psychobiotics are types of probiotic bacteria that have been shown to directly impact your mental health. And my family and I have seen a difference in ours since taking our daily omnibiotic stress release. These are targeted probiotics. They have a highly effective powder delivery mechanism. They have clinically tested health benefits and they are vegan and hypoallergenic. Omnibiotic Stress Release's unique powder delivery mechanism ensures that 83% of good bacteria reach the desired area of the gut, compared to an average of 7% in top probiotic capsule brands. So I encourage you all to go to omnibioticlife.com. You will get 15% off of your order by using the promo code LisaDavis15 at checkout. Again, these are incredible probiotics. You want to have a healthy gut. You want to have less anxiety. You want to feel better. I highly encourage you again. So go to omnibioticlife.com. Use the promo code LisaDavis15 at checkout. You will be so glad you did. This is such an important thing you can do for your overall health. You have adjustment disorders, reactive attachment disorder. Just tell us a little bit about those. Yeah, so adjustment disorder, super common. I mean, change is hard for anyone. I'll say, you know, it's hard for me too. <laughs> um, right. And this could be, you know, when we're thinking about adverse events, I mean, one of the most common things I see are parents getting divorced, kids going to live with one parent, the other, or having a new custody schedule. And that can be a little overwhelming for them and totally normal. 
normal for that to be overwhelming. So there might just oh, yeah. be, you know, an adjust some some struggles with that adjustment that of course, you know, with therapy or with parental support, a child can easily overcome. Oh, good. I also really like that you had differences across the ages of when things happen, infants and toddlers. You have children ages two through six, uh, children's ages seven through 12, and adolescents. I would say I've definitely seen lots of younger children who've used dissociation as a coping technique, because that's what it is, is it's your brain protecting itself. But I'll add that I've seen that in older kids, and I've even seen it, oh, in, have you? I've even seen it in adults, too. Yeah. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Um, so I think that that as a coping technique, you know, as we get older, we learn other ways to cope. So um, some of the healthiest ways to cope are with humor, um, you know, or with something called sublimation. So distracting by doing productive things. Um, and of course, you know, plenty of adults do that. Other people are too distressed and they can't lean on those coping techniques. Um, but yeah, lots. Of, so, so adults have sort of more to choose from and it's not a conscious process when I say more to choose from. It's just sort of something that your, your mind does to protect itself. Um, and with kids, that's more limited. But I will sort of like say to wrap all of that up is that I've seen it in kids, teens and adults. In chapter three, you are the key to helping to heal your child. Uh, the importance of attachment and attachment and trauma. And you write, at its core, attachment is the emotional bond we share with another person. And you focus on that important attachment bond between parent and child. Talk to us a little bit about that and why it's so important. And also you talk about how to build that relationship. Yes, yes, absolutely. So um, my sort of general philosophy about psychology, therapy, parenting, about all of it is that connection is the best medicine we have. Right. Yeah, I think, you know, there's so much we can do for our kids, but none of it is going to take the place of a warm attachment relationship. So um, when I write about secure attachment, what I mean is, is your child confident that you will be available for them when they need you, that, that you, that they can count on you to reliably be there for them in the way that they need? Um, and if the answer is yes, then um, oftentimes that means that you have fostered a secure attachment relationship with your child. And I think that sort of the converse of that is that if your child doesn't have the sense that you're going to be there for them, or that maybe sometimes you will, but it won't be consistent, those are things that could impair the attachment relationship. One of the things I love, and this is so funny to me because my parents talked about this, but I don't remember them ever doing it with us. I think they did it with each other, was active listening. Yes. And I love active listening, mm-hmm. but I'm think I'm going, I don't remember that. But my parents, they were in this kind of, it was in the seventies, kind of this kind of hippie, cool group of people. And they would talk about their emotions and their feelings. And my mom would come home and be like, we learned about this or about eye messages. And I thought it meant giving each other dirty looks. I didn't realize it was, you know, using the letter I and I feel hurt that such and such. Ah. But I'm thinking, well, they never did that with us. But anyway, let's talk about active listening. So people are like Lisa, shush, what is, what is active listening? <laughs> totally. Oh, yeah. Well, oh, man, I'm I'm that is just I'm like snapping my fingers at that because it's like they were learning and yet it didn't you didn't receive the benefit. No. Oh, shucks, man. That is too bad. So active listening 
is when basically it's how you communicate to your children that you're listening to them. And you can do this by, so this is a therapy skill, but um, you can do this as a parent by sort of rephrasing what they say. And and this isn't like mimicking them or parroting them, but it's just helping show them that you're paying attention. So if your kid says something like, um, say they have a task of taking the dog for a walk when they get home, but they have a ton of homework and they're feeling really anxious about it. And they let you know, like, oh my gosh, like I have so much math homework. I'm not going to be able to get through all of it. I'm so nervous. I'm going to fail. You could say something like, oh gosh, I hear that. You're really worried about keeping up with the workload in math class. So you're rephrasing what they're saying in your own words and letting them know that you're paying attention and that you hear them. Yeah, that's really, it's really validating. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, you're not going to do their math homework for them, but at least you're you're being compassionate and understanding what's going on. And, and that brings me to when you talk about when your child is triggered and you talk about how to react effectively. And I love this. First and foremost, remember to be empathic and compassionate. Mm-hmm. Yes. Absolutely. That's really nice. You know, parents can be confused by this. And if your kid is acting kind of strange, um, you know, or, or doing something maybe that even embarrasses you. If you're out in public, it can be hard to get there into that compassionate place. But it's so important for your kid's well-being. It really is. And you have other great suggestions with people have to get the book. But I love that you have diaphragmatic breathing in here. Mm-hmm. You have a mindful walking. Mm-hmm. You have a body scans, uh, really where you can get out of your brain and into your body. Mm-hmm. And that's really important. I love progressive muscle relaxation, visual visualization. And it's nice that these are all things that you can, you know, help your children or your your teen with. And I think too, letting them maybe pick which visualizations and there's so many now. Yes. Right. I remember daughter was little and she had trouble sleeping. And so we would listen to relaxations, I guess. Mm-hmm. And you would be at there was this one she loved called the pond. And I've looked everywhere. I can't remember the guy's name, but mm-hmm. oh, we loved it. And it would just take you through the woods into the pond. And it was very nice. And I think to like, well, what makes you feel happy and relax? Oh, you like the beach? We'll do one on the beach. Perfect. Or we'll hear one about yeah. Yeah, I think that's really nice. You also talk about uh talking about it. You write uh make talking about feelings routine. Yes. That's really important. What do you do when you ask your kid how was school or you seem upset and they're like, I'm fine? But you can clearly tell you don't want to push too much. Like, how do you play that? And obviously it depends on their age. Sure, sure. So you know what? My kids give me that too. So I've stopped asking. <laughs> like when my daughter comes home from school, I don't, you know, I'm not gonna pepper her with yeah. a bunch of questions because I know it won't go well. But my daughter is super receptive to talking about things at night when I'm trying to get her oh. to go to sleep. Which it makes oh, sense. Okay. You know, she's trying to push back bedtime, which is so, so normal. Um, and so we use that as our time to check in. Um, and we might, I can't remember if we've already talked about this, but, um, for young kids, we might do something called warm fuzzies and cold pricklies where, oh no, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So this would just be something where you share your warm fuzzy of the day or something that happened that made you feel warm and fuzzy inside, something happy or exciting, something that made you feel proud, something like that. Um, and then you share your cold prickly, something that made you feel nervous, sad, mad, scared, anything like that. 
And so you'll share them as the parent uh, and invite your child to share them too. And I know for my daughter and also for my patient's kids, they're, they're a lot more receptive uh, around bedtime. And then, of course, every kid has their great time. So just experiment with different check-ins about feelings at different times of day. But yes, after school generally does not go well in most families. No, it really doesn't. <laughs> I, I need to, I mean, that's, <laughs> I got to get that in my head because Whenever I pick, I still pick up my daughter and I'm always like, how was school? She goes, mom, you know, I'm, I'm fried because she has sent, you know, it's a lot. I, I, I don't want to, I'll tell you later. Why, why do you always ask? I'm like, I don't know. Totally. It's just <laughs> instinct. I get it. I totally right. get it. Now, I think this is so important in chapter seven, how to respond to minor misbehavior. Cause my feeling is like, well, if your kid was traumatized and they're acting out, you don't punish them. You figure it out. But then if they do like they're punching the next door neighbor or something like, you can't just be like, well, he's traumatized. He can go and hit that kid. Like, how do you deal with this? Totally, totally. So my approach is to divide it into minor behavior and major misbehavior. So minor misbehavior okay. will be things like whining, tantrums, talking back, getting sassy, all of that type of thing. And so we'll, we have one set of skills for responding to minor misbehavior and major misbehavior is things more like destruction of property or physical aggression. And so we respond to that very differently. Right. And you also talk about setting and holding boundaries. And I would think that could be tough too. And you write, uh, there's almost something about setting boundaries and enforcing consequences can help a child, especially a traumatized one, feel safe. Talk to us about some examples, if you could, about setting boundaries and enforcing consequences. Oh, totally. Okay. So, um, you know, I'll see often well-meaning parents whose kid has just experienced something scary and they will just sort of let the kid do whatever they want. So instead of having like, you know, healthy meals with dessert after, it's like, okay, ice cream for dinner, whatever you want. <laughs> <laughs> just trying to get their kid to feel happy again. Um, and the kid can be left feeling like, what the heck is going on? You know, so one thing that communicates is like, oh, gosh, if mom's letting me have ice cream for dinner every night, something must be seriously wrong. What's going on here? So, um, you know, by keeping schedules and routines the same, you're going to keep your kid feeling more safe and grounded. Um, yeah, absolutely. And so then the other the other issue with not setting boundaries um, or, or even worse. So what's even worse than not setting a boundary is trying to set a boundary and giving in. So um, say your kid wants ice cream for dinner and you say, no, you're not having ice cream for dinner. But then they beg and they plead and they scream and you say like, oh my gosh, like I can't deal with this. Fine. You can have ice cream for dinner. Um, then they learn, uh, you know, yep. if I try and push a boundary and my mom says, no, I'm just going to have to push harder, scream louder, get more annoying. And then my mom will eventually say yes. Do you do this therapy just in the area that you are or because of COVID, are you able to Zoom with people or yeah. is it just like... In so oh. I, so there's something called SIPACT, which is, which I'm, so I'm not sure how this affects people with different degrees than me, but for psychologists, we, if you are part of SIPACT, you can practice in, gosh, I, I think it's about 30 different states in the country. So not every state, um, but in many states. And it's not, I, I don't use Zoom. I use um, a different uh, video conferencing platform, but yeah. So your book is out. It came out on... Yes, on Friday, August 19th. Woohoo! 
That is so exciting. Thank you. It is such a great book. Do you have a website and social media? Absolutely. And all that stuff? So very easy because they're both the same thing. So my website is melissagoldbergmints.com and that is also my Instagram handle. Wonderful. This has been great. Everybody pick up this book. Has your child been traumatized? How to know and what to do to promote healing and recovery and keep coming back to health power. Well, that's it for our show today. Thank you so much for listening. We appreciate you and we would appreciate it if you could please rate and review and leave a comment because the more you engage with our podcast, the more you will find it and help other people find it wherever they listen to their podcast. So be sure to follow us. I'm at Andrea Donsky and at Naturally Savvy and Lisa at Lisa Davis MPH. Thank you so much. And please share this episode because the more you share shows you care. We'll see you next time.